things are pretty good. I have a good job. I have great friends. I have an awesome girlfriend. Everything's great. I take after my family. And it's just the way I was raised. I don't really have enough time to volunteer. Work is just too crazy right now. But I'm, I'm pretty successful. I may have a few bad habits, but I'm still in control. I don't drink near as much as my father does. My relationship isn't perfect, but whose is? Come on, I'm not stuck in all this. I'm not stuck. I'm not stuck in this. I'm stuck. As a pre-processed, Sunday school-going, hymn-singing, suit-wearing, King James Version of the Bible-carrying, guilt-driven church kid, I got stuck in a very predictable cycle. It basically went like this, sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent. It, it, it looked kind of like this, look at the girl, don't look at the girl, God, I looked at the girl. Look at the bad movie, don't look at the bad movie, I looked at the bad movie, God. Eat the donut, don't eat the donut, God, I ate the donut. Tell the lie, don't tell the lie, God, I told the lie. Sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent. It was, it was like an addictive cycle that I couldn't break out, all framed in the famous words, God, I got myself into this, but if you get me out of it, I promise I will never, ever, ever, ever do this again. I take some comfort in the fact that the idea of a sin cycle is not new. In fact, it's been around since the beginning of time. All the way back in the Old Testament book of Judges, the people of Israel are stuck in a sin cycle. Let me read to you a chunk of Old Testament scripture from Judges chapter 2. It's the bad cycle and bad choices of an entire nation of people who were also known, ironically, as God's chosen people. Just listen, just, just soak in these words and see whether or not you can relate at any level. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served Baals, which were the Canaanite gods. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him, and they served Baal and the Ashtoreths. That is the Phoenician or the Canaanite god, the son of Dagon, little g-god, and Ashtoreth. Some of you will know her name better as Ishtar. Counterfeit false gods. And the Israelites are worshiping them. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he'd sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders, yet they wouldn't listen to their judges but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned away from the ways of their ancestors who'd been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge, saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. Here it comes. But when the judge died... The people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. And they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. 
I told you what my cycle was. Sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent. Here's the cycle of sin in Judges. It goes like this. Israel serves God. Life is good. God is faithful. And then their humanity kicks in just a little bit. And they start thinking they're running the show. Israel, over a series of generations, Israel forgets God. They forsake God and they fall into sin. This next generation forgets to teach the generation after them how amazing God is. And so they disregard him and they start chasing idols. They start filling their lives with with stuff. And the generation stops reminding them that they're God's chosen people. So they start living like they're in charge. Last week we talked about how we like to be in charge of our own little bubble. And we fill our bubble with stuff and, and, and things because we think that brings us security. And when we get sucked into believing we're actually in charge, we do something. We don't like using the word, but I'm going to be using it a lot this morning. The word is sin. We violate God's standard. Israel's enslaved. It's no different than today. Nothing's changed, right? Sin always leads to bondage, literally and figuratively. Anybody else figured that out? Sin leads to bondage. Israel cries out to God. They call out to God, God save me. And it goes usually like this, I got myself into this, but I expect you to get me out of this because that's your job. And if you really love me, you're going to make the pain and the consequences go away. And I promise if you do that, God, I'll be on my best behavior for as long as I can. And I promise I will never, ever, ever, ever do that again. Famous last words. I've learned something in this cycle and in my cycle. God doesn't always respond when I scream, but he always responds when I repent. Let me say that again. He doesn't always respond when I scream. He always responds when I repent. When I earnestly cry out in repentance, God always responds. And in this time in history, God responded and God raised up a judge. You can find their stories in the book of Judges. That's why it's called that. Amazing people, amazing stories. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jer, Jephthah, Ibzon, Elon, Abdon, and the most famous of all, Samson. We have a judge too. His name is Jesus. And you were singing to him earlier in the service today, and I believe his heart grew in pride over his kids and their dependence on him. In the Old Testament, Israel's delivered. That's the way the cycle goes. Israel gets a clue. They come back to their identity. They ditch the bubble and the idols and the stuff, and they come back to God, where Israel serves God. And and they're doing so well until their humanity kicks in again, and the cycle starts all over again. And you can see it repeated generation after generation after generation. And it would be so easy to sit back and read these words and make fun of the people of Israel. We would be so easy to do that if we didn't have a cycle ourselves. People have been stuck in a sin cycle since the beginning of time. And over the years, I began to just kind of analyze my own cycle. Why did I keep falling in the same predictable way, the same predictable pattern? Why did it seem like I was on a hamster wheel of sin going around and around at at hyper speed, but never being able to completely break free? I began to discover there was a more complex cycle for me. Maybe you can relate to my cycle. Maybe you can't, but I'm just going to share mine Because this is where I struggle. It always starts with this. I begin to flirt with a desire. I want something. I want my own way. I want recognition. I want just a little piece of life where I can do what I want, when I want, and how I want. And so I start flirting with the idea of doing something that I know God hates, but I just want to do it anyway. In my mind, I begin to explore the idea, and I start playing a game of truth or consequences. 
I wonder, I wonder how I would go about that particular sin. I wonder what would happen if I got caught. I wonder what would happen if I didn't get caught. I, I wonder what it would feel like if I j- decided to do that particular. I wonder if I could numb the pain this way. I wonder if the voices in my head would quiet down a little if I just went and, and, and checked that out. I, 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 just, I wonder. And I kick around in my mind, and during this time of exploring, I begin to feel and sense a feeling a feeling of entitlement. Because after all, I, I deserve to do what I want. I deserve to get high. I deserve that sexual release. I deserve to, to file that, that false tax return because everybody knows I work hard and the government's corrupt. I deserve it. And right on the heels of entitlement, I begin to justify I begin to excuse it in my head. I begin to make it all right. I begin to argue with God why his rules are ludicrous and and why he's so restrictive and why he's stealing my joy. And I begin to argue with God about all the reasons why it's okay for me and, and it's not okay for you. And I begin to invalidate God's law and God's principles because after all, I convince myself I am the grand exception. It's different for me. And all of this happens in my brain and then I've got to make a choice. The choice to abandon my spiritual identity. Am I going to choose to live like a son of the Most High God or not? Will I live in a way that honors God or am I going to choose a way that honors myself and my desires no matter how sick and twisted they may be? I mean, it's really as simple as that, right? Who am I going to love more? Am I going to love money more than God? Am I going to love the porn more than God? Am I going to love the anger more than God? Am I going to love the grudge more than God? Am I going to love the gossip more than God? I mean, who am I going to love more? Can I be honest with you? I often choose the sin more than God. I could lie to you and say it's different, but the truth is, I often choose the sin more than God, and in doing that, I act out. I sin. We don't even like the word, right, because it just seems so sinful. <laughs> we just want to call it something different that won't make us feel so bad, and, 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 and we think about acting out, and, and, and we move our brain in the direction of the great theologian Britney Spears, and we chalk it up to, to, to oops, I did it again. <laughs> I'm not that innocent. I mean, that's, (laughs) that was kind of sinful just doing that, wasn't it? Especially if I'm an almost 50-year-old guy. That was just wrong. (laughs) Still jet lag. Okay, so, but I make the choice. I do the deed, and then I'm wrapped in guilt and shame. Because sin hurts. Anybody else found that to be true? Sin hurts. It hurts me. It hurts the people I love. It hurts my family. It hurts hurts my spiritual family. But ultimately, like we learned last week, it hurts God. Remember David's words last week between, before you only, against you only, God, have I sinned. Somehow, God makes it personal between us and him, and he reminds us that every sin we've ever committed and ever will commit, we're so unbelievably serious, no matter how we rename them or repackage them, that they were so serious that it cost Jesus his life. I find myself, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, Jesus died once and for all, but I find myself on a cycle where I crucify him over and over and over and over again. 
Sometimes I get stuck in, in guilt and shame, and I didn't even put it in your outline, but I get stuck in guilt and shame, and what happens to me is the self-hatred begins because I think I don't deserve anything better than what I've already got, and I just go straight back to flirting again because I don't think I deserve any better. That's one direction sometimes. I go in the direction of, of confess and repent, and I honestly and I earnestly confess and repent, and life is good until the glow wears off and living purely kind of gets boring and selfishness kicks back in again, and I start flirting with another idea, and off goes the cycle again. And I know you guys are just too holy and just perfect because you come late to church and you're ready to go. I know no, this is nobody else's deal, but I get stuck. And I can tell you, I've lived with this cycle for most of my life. I can honestly say this transparently. I used to believe that following Jesus meant managing my sin cycle. That that was my job. My job was just to manage it. That I, that I was destined to white-knuckle it through my existence and manage the fallout and, and do, do image management and sin management and just try not to get people caught in the collateral damage and, and just hope in the bottom of my soul that somehow God had a sense of humor and that he'd slap me a high-five when I stumbled across the gateway of heaven and we'd just call it good. I was often troubled by the truth of the Scripture. You'll notice around, around my cycle is, the, is this band, a big circle, and in it are these words that God promises and provides a way out. And I struggled with that because for the light of me, I couldn't find the way out. Even though God promised it and said he provided it, I'd be stumbling all over the place. And I just ended up on the hamster wheel over and over and over again. I struggled with verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is what the Bible says. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. You know what that means? We all deal with this. There's no exceptions. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Time out. That's one of the most misquoted verses in all of Scripture. People say, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not true. That's not biblical. God will often give you more than you can handle so you'll turn to Him. This is always a verse in the context of temptation. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. And I struggled with that because for the life of me, I just felt like I was stuck on this wheel and couldn't get off, looking for a way out but never finding it. It was the epitome of James chapter 1. When tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, oh boy, here it comes, when by his own evil desire, that's what we flirt with, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. I felt like a bass fish. Stick with me. I felt like a fish, just kind of back in the reeds, just minding my own business, kind of hanging out, doing what fish is doing, thinking fishy thoughts and just kind of hanging out and minding my own business. And then one day, this shiny silver thing just goes like, and I'm like, whoa, what was that? Did you see that? It was shiny. It was cool. It looks like food, smells like food. I don't even know if fish can smell. I don't care. <laughs> Stick with my story. You're with me, okay? You're in the water. And you, whoa, there it goes. Whoa, whoa, it went back. And I screamed to myself, I know better. I know better. It's called a lure for a reason. 
It's got hooks embedded in it. And it doesn't matter because I just think in my head, I'm okay. And I deny the fact that my friends have been disappearing on a daily basis. <laughs> they just keep going up and I think it must be heaven. That's where they're going, right? And I come out of the reeds and I bump it with my nose and I kind of take a look at it and I think to myself, I, I know I shouldn't, but there's just something about it. It's just, it's just so shiny and beautiful and I want it more than anything. And I bite it and I can't for the life of me figure out why do I end up in the frying pan again and again and again. I love my Bible. First time I went through 12 steps of spiritual journey, right here at Christ the King. I'll be honest with you. I went through it because I suddenly was the pastor of this place, and I thought, well, if everybody else is doing recovery, I should probably go and find out what their issues are. <laughs> so I showed up in a 12-step group, only to find out that the issues that God wanted to deal with were mine. And I was introduced to the idea of halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. If you're a 12-step vet, you get this. You know this. You're my people. Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. That little acronym reminded me I needed to stop and hit the pause button whenever I was feeling one of those four states of being because if I was hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, I was vulnerable. And I knew that as my sin cycle spun faster and faster and faster, it just meant I was so much more vulnerable when I was hungry, angry, lonely, we're tired, so I halted a lot. I halted. I kept telling myself, Grant, just stop it. Stop it. And I would will myself to stop it. Now, here seemed to be an interesting issue. I always seemed to be stopping myself right before I was crossing the line. And I never realized that I could actually stop anywhere on the cycle up to that point. And that God was always giving me a way out. In my situation, I halted a lot, but I also kept failing a lot. I just wanted the cycle to stop. I just wanted a way out. I was so sick of managing the fallout from my own evil decisions. I just wanted to experience the love of God in a way that just got me off the hamster wheel altogether. Here's the problem. I didn't have any more excuses. I ran out of excuses and options. Romans chapter 2 is staring me in the face. I love Romans chapter 2. It's so subtle. It's, it's so gentle. It says this, you therefore have no excuse. That's where I was living. Listen to what else it says. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, his patience with you? Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Let me say that again. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his love that brings me to a place where instead of just getting stuck in the cycle that leads me to death, I can actually accept God's strength and God's love to break the cycle of sin in my life once and for all. In his kindness, God began to show me a way out. Not saying I took it every time. But he began to show me a way out. And I realized I couldn't do it on my own, but I had no choice but to obey. I didn't put it in your outline, so you'd have to write it down. The way out is always through obedience. Let me say it again. The way out, the way off of the sin cycle is always 
through obedience. It's not rocket science. It's true. Can I get an amen from somebody? It's always through obedience. I had to obey and realize I couldn't even do the obedience part of my own strength. I had to allow God to give me the grace and the strength to do that. Without Jesus, I was powerless to break the cycle of sin. But through Jesus, I could get unstuck. And God actually used that little halt thingy to show me a truth that transformed my life. I put it in your outline this way. I can step off the sin cycle when God satisfies me more than my sin does. God showed me a picture of his loving self that drew me away from sins that I had made my friends. He showed me that he was a better friend. He showed me that he could fulfill more than that lure. That he was more satisfying than chewing on metal and hooks. That he wanted to set me free to be the person that he created me to be, fully reliant, not on my own strength, to do the best I can or to just do better this coming week, but instead to fully rest in him to the point where it was his strength that was carrying me off the cycle of sin. God showed up in the quiet moments of my life and he addressed this hunger inside of me. We all have an appetite, don't we? We have an appetite for recognition. We have an appetite for sex. We have an appetite for being recognized. We have an appetite for for whatever it is that we think we need to fill that hole in our soul. For most of us, let's just be honest. It's an appetite for stuff accumulating. And God showed up in my life and said, Grant, I know you're hungry. But this is what I say to the hungry. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Jesus said, John chapter 6, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me, you still don't believe. All those the Father will come, gives will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That meant so much, those little words, he will never drive them away. That meant so much to me as as a habitual offender that went around the same cycle over and over again to know that I could come at any point in time and not cheapen God's grace, but when I came in full repentance, that he would not just push me away and say, go back to your little hamster wheel. You've been on it forever, just stay there. That instead, his response was always that of a loving father that said, come to me. Come to me. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he's given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day day. I was chronically hungry and God said, I can satisfy your appetite if you'll choose to eat of the right thing. The bread of life will satisfy you for eternity. Nothing else that you're stuffing yourself will. He came to me when I was angry and I was really angry. I was angry because I would actually pray when I was on the sin cycle. God help me, God save me, God help me, God save me. I just didn't want to do it the way he wanted it done. I wanted to be saved on my terms. Anybody else done that before? God, I want to be saved. Here are my conditions. 
Don't ever ask me to be uncomfortable. Don't ever ask me to leave American soil. I still want a house. I want a car. I want somebody that loves me. That's my conditions. Don't ever ask me to step outside of that because if you do, I'm going to have to go a different direction. I was angry. And he came to me and said, into your anger, I would like to exchange something. The Bible says he shall be called the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6, we quoted at Christmas time. I think it's probably better this year that we quoted in January. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, and then they lay out the resume of God in his names. And to someone that was addicted to a sin cycle over and over again, I needed everything that God is. The Bible says he is a wonderful counselor. If you're stuck, stuck on a sin cycle like me, you know you need a really, really good therapist. You need someone who will tell you the truth and ask you the right questions and not allow you to be comfortable and retreat back into the reeds. He wants you to step out into the light. I love that he's called a wonderful counselor. You need a mighty God, a God who's stronger than you are, a God who can lead you in a direction you can't possibly go on your own strength because you're already exhausted and tired. You need an everlasting father who will come to you and say, look, you're my son, you're my daughter. You don't need to compete for my attention. I'm not a distracted dad. You have my full attention. I actually want to spend time with you. I want to be with you. I am your father, and I will never leave you. I will never hit you. I will never abandon you. I'm never going to push you away. I just want you to come to me. I want you to figure out that you are who I say you are. Child of God, sin is not your master. And that just leads up to the last one, Prince of Peace. When you're addicted to the chaos of the sin cycle, when somebody shows up and says, I would love to step into the middle of all of your junk and whisper these words, peace be still. That's good news when everything is noisy. I was desperately lonely in my cycle. To the lonely, God came and whispered to me, I'm with you always. Matthew 28, 20, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That sounds like a really long time to me. All the way to the end. Everybody picking up on that whole how God meets all of our needs when we're hungry, angry, lonely. And I love the last one, to the tired. God showed up to me on my hamster wheel running a million miles an hour and going nowhere. And he said, I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight, I never get tired of reading this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you a list of things that you need to get done by the end of tomorrow, or you're not a good disciple of Jesus. <laughs> Say it with me. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I have found that the key to stepping out of the sin cycle is to fully step into the love and the peace and the provision and the presence and the rest of God. You can't just white-knuckle your way through a halt moment. You have to choose way back before you even start flirting. Do I want to drink a cup of living water or a cup of vomit? 
because that's what sin is. Some of you are like, ugh, good. <laughs> Appropriate response. Because God keeps saying, I offer you this. You'll never be thirsty again. Why do you keep, why do you keep going back to this? It's not what I want for you. You know, I do this, not perfectly. When I'm hungry and the bread of life comes to me, I step fully into God's presence when I feed on God's word. I have a little app on my phone. It's the Bible in one year. Every morning when I wake up, the first thing that hits me before my email or my text or my Facebook or whatever is the word of God. And I have found the more I saturate myself in God's presence, the shorter I spend on the wheel. There's no shortcut. There's no way to make it easy. You have to want the bread of life more than you want anything. I found something. The days in which I start firmly implanted in who God is, I get off the wheel really quick. The days where I ignore who God is, just... Feed on God's word. I live at peace with people even when they hate me. Even when they say things about me that are not true. Even when they slander me in public. My Bible says that I'm to live at peace with everyone because in, when I do that, I embody who God is with me. And if God can love me, I should be able to love anybody. I recognize God's presence in every moment. And you can find him in every single moment. And I rest in this simple fact. God is God and I am not. Amen. So let's be really transparent. If you're looking for a church with a perfect pastor, boy, are you in the wrong spot. <laughs> Don't believe me? Ask my wife. Let's just be really transparent. Knowing all of this, are there still moments when I choose to get back on the hamster wheel? Yeah. There are. But I can tell you something. When I'm feasting on God's word, when I'm holding as tight as I can to the Prince of Peace, when I acknowledge his presence with me, before me, behind me, on each side, above me, below me, when I, when I fully, fully embrace him in those moments. And when I am so exhausted, I can't take another step. When I place myself in that place and the wheel is calling to me, now I hear another voice. A voice from the cross that says, you have a better option. That is not you. That wheel you used to be a slave to sin. Slave is no, sin is no longer your master. You serve the king of kings. So step fully into who he says you are. Ignore who the devil says you are. Because I know who the devil says we all are. I've been watching it happen this entire time. The devil says you are a victim of the wheel and you can never get off the wheel. He wants you to think that your sin is in a completely different category than everybody else's in the room. That amazing grace applies to all the people down your row, but it doesn't apply to you because your sin is a completely different category. You know how I know that? Because I've been watching, as we've been talking about the sin cycle, I've been watching... 
The devil pushed people's shame button, and you're pretending to look at your phone, but you're actually staring at the floor. Can you do me a favor for a second? Look up. Look right here. Look at just another example of God's unbelievably grace, his faithfulness, and his mercy. Look up here and understand this. You are not who the enemy says you are. You are not a chronic failure. You are not a habitual offender. You are not who the enemy says you are. You are a son or a daughter of the most high God. Sin is not your master. And if you will embed yourself in him, you never need to get on the hamster wheel again. The voice of the cross calls me over and over and over again. Come to me. Come to me, and I will give you the strength. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you for 240 seconds of your life. Okay? Pray with me. Father God, in this moment, we declare our complete dependence on you. We can't do this on our own. We're asking you, God, would you make your love so compelling to us that the thought of choosing anything to satisfy us other than you would seem ludicrous. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room. God, I know I'm not alone in struggling with the sin cycle. So God, whether it's judgment or grudge or gossip or lying or sexual sin or whatever it is, Lord, we choose to believe that you are the angry or that you are the answer to being hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. We give ourselves to you in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.